It is the week of February 13th, and you have found your way to the Wild at Heart podcast, sort of like those flights when they announce, if you don't want to go to Atlanta, (laughs) you would probably want to get off this flight right right now. (laughs) This is the Wild at Heart podcast, and John and Alan in the studio this week, not with a Valentine's Day podcast, everybody. Actually, we're recording this a few weeks ahead of time, it and I didn't even know it was valid. You didn't even bring me a card. Yeah, this sorry, yeah. sorry. I'll bring you flowers tomorrow. Okay. Let's do what we normally do. Let's begin with release. Let's begin with union with Christ, letting go the crazy and the chaos, centering ourselves in the presence of God so that we can be met and cared for and strengthened and renewed by the presence of God in this week's podcast. So, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I release everyone and everything to you. give you my day. I give you the week. I give you all the things that are clamoring for my heart right now. In this moment, for a moment, I can let it go. And so I lay down all things to you, Jesus. Just take a moment to do that, friends. And we pray that our union is restored Restore my union with you, Lord Jesus. Restore our union. Breathe your life into me and come and meet us here in this week's podcast. In your name we pray. So for the past several weeks, we've kind of been in a series that is really designed to address and care for some of the needs, pressures, warfare that is on the human heart right now. Yes. I mean, anytime we come into the studio, we're looking to find the epicenter of the war over the human heart, the ancient battle, which is over the human heart, and bring some kind of care, relief, truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sobriety, Mm -hmm. guidance, counsel of some kind. That, that's what we're about. That's what we do here. Right. And usually we're bringing things into the conversation that we're facing, that we're having to go through. So it's timely for us as well as everyone listening, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. We try and keep this very current because we just know that as, as we're able to share our stories and what we're walking through, it's probably what most everybody else is walking through or recently has or are right. about to. Okay, and this week is no different. Yeah, how do we care for the heart in this hour of the story? And so, Alan, I want to I want to do a mind game. We're going to do a little exercise here. Okay. At the at the top of the podcast this week, it's I'm going to throw this at you, but I'm also putting it out to our our friends and listeners. Here's the mind game. We we have some confidence. We have some level of confidence that it could be. It could be that Christ returns in our lifetime, 
that this could be the generation that sees the return of Christ. Now, whether or not you believe that really isn't the point, because Jesus is constantly saying in the Gospels, hey, you know, you really ought to be ready, right? because it's going to come at the hour that you don't expect it. And so if you're not really expecting it right now, that's exactly the hour <laughs> that Jesus says, yeah, I want you to watch. I want you to be ready. Yes. Okay, so here's the mind game. Let's say it does. Let's say that the return of Christ is going to take place in your lifetime. What would you need to do to be ready? <laughs> wow, that's a light question. <laughs> um I need another sip of coffee. It, gosh, um, John, I would say it's a disruptive question because as long as that thought of his return is in the distance, then it sounds great, but I really don't have to bring it into the reality of day to day. Exactly. And so it stays a concept. Exactly. Right. Right. Bingo, jackpot. Because if you... I'm going to riff a little bit and give your poor soul a few chances to catch up to this question. Thank you. If we were to live with a sense of, hey, a moment is coming when everything that is spoken in secret is shouted from the rooftops, yeah, right? And every hidden thing is made known in the light of the presence of God, right? it, it would affect our choices, our values, our priorities. It would. It would affect our hopes and dreams, and that is the tonic that the doctrine of the second coming is is exactly supposed to have right. on the human soul. Whether or not you think, well, you know, maybe, maybe in my lifetime, hey, maybe, maybe sooner, maybe in the next 10 years. Gosh, how would that, how would that affect categories like hope and joy and loving mm -hmm. and sacrifice and yeah. Well, you used the word hope just then, and that was going to be in my response to you is it would really be hopeful for me to see it that way. And the reason why, I mean, this happened just a couple of nights ago. So this is a fresh conversation, but Kelly and I were out with two other couples for dinner and around the table talk uh, quickly went to what's going on in the world and geopolitical and local school board meetings and neighborhoods and churches. And it was a kind of a, a potpourri of different topics, but I found myself losing heart quickly in the conversation. And, and so I pulled back a little and listened, but I didn't add a whole lot. And then after the dinner, I was telling Kelly that the reason I think I was losing hope in that conversation was because it was all from a human back and forth perspective. And I said, Kelly, how do you think that conversation would have changed that we had for about an hour and a half with the group if we had Jesus sitting at the table? It wasn't just, well, what do you think? And, and here's what I believe. And well, then they said this and I said that. It would have shifted to Jesus, What what is your perspective mm. and how do we see these times through your eyes? And when you raised that question to me, the same hope starts to rise when I when I filter it through that lens because that's the whole reason we're doing all that we're doing. And so mm. it would make me more hopeful to, if I saw it that way. It would make me more aware 
of my daily choices and what really mattered. What am I spending my time on? What what am I worried about? And should I even really worry about that if that's not the truer part of of what's happening? So this is the mind game, friends. Let's just play it for a little bit more. What would you need to do to get ready? If you thought, whoa, maybe in my lifetime, maybe in the next, you know, 20 years, 10 years, huh? Like just just play without going into the doctrine and the dates and the times. Don't get lost in the weeds. There is a tonic. There is a rescue. There is, there is a profound level of soul. I would call it like rescue, chiropractic adjustment, <laughs> um, realignment that takes place. And Jesus repeats this quite often about, hey, I actually want you to be ready. And so let's pick up with the Sermon on the Mount. There's several different pieces of scripture I want to bring into this today. The beautiful, beautiful Sermon on the Mount begins in a very lovely way. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so really beautiful. It's mm-hmm. he's, he's just rearranging a whole set of ethics and expectations about the kingdom uh, in that teaching. But the Sermon on the Mount goes on from those famous words, and he talks about, you know, you're the salt of the earth. Don't lose your saltiness, your light of the world. You know, this little light of mine, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let it shine. Okay, he goes on to talk about, you know, don't murder etc. But then in verse 23, he says this, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar first, go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Hmm. Now, this is one of those beautiful, beautiful, sober teachings of Jesus that's taking place in the context of love. It's taking place in the context of gospel redemption. Mm -hmm. Christ is going to lay down his life for us, atone for our sins. It's got to be heard within all of that, right? right? But he is saying, hey, you know what? You you really ought to live with a kind of readiness. And in this example, he's using it relationally. And he's saying, look, if if there's a brother or sister and you've got some unreconciled business there, you you really ought to take care of that. Don't, Don't just let that go. Because a day may come where you're going to really regret that debt 
piling up on you, either in this life or yes. in the one to come. Well, and he keeps it so practical, like you said, relational. His Sermon on the Mount is not an eschatology talk. It's about making things right with the people in your life. It's about how you treat others. It's about how you live. And so even when we're thinking about the return of Christ, it can go quickly to all those other, you know, the dates and the timing. And right. and, and the, the thing is, that gives us a pass almost on our own behavior and in our own way of living that becomes much less comfortable in one sense, but more hopeful in the other sense as we start going, Yes. so now what does that mean yes. in terms of each day? Exactly. So here's the mind game that we're playing. Here's the, here's the sole exercise we're doing. What would I need to do to be ready? And one of the really rich and fruitful categories there is forgiveness, particularly offering forgiveness. As I have reflected on, you know, it could. The return could be at hand. Could. I mean, Scripture says it could, right? right? The, it's the very hour that no one expects it to be. So that's one of those hours. As I reflect on that, I have begun to take my soul through an inventory. Is there anyone that I still need to forgive? And it's been beautiful. It's just been absolutely beautiful, Alan. Certain people from the past coming up, certain events in the present week triggering things in me to go, oh, wow. My reaction to that person? Yes. Uh-oh. <laughs> I, yeah. I still haven't forgiven them. And, yeah. and I, I want to do that right now, Lord. I want to go there in my heart. I kind of want to locate the place in my heart that is my posture towards that person. Mm-hmm. And in that place, I forgive them, Lord. I forgive them. And it's it's just been an extraordinarily beautiful exercise. One, because as you were pointing out, in the day-to-day living, that's just a good thing to do. Right. But also in the context of what would I need to do to be ready? I don't want to be found holding grudges. I don't want to be found holding Bitterness, yes. Some of those historic bitternesses that we hang on to from years yeah. gone by. Yeah, John. When you say finding and then releasing that person in forgiveness, sometimes they may not even be around anymore in our story, but sometimes that would include picking up the phone, right, and making a call or an interaction. I think we need to ask Jesus about those. I think we need to be very careful with those because what we're talking about right now is the care of the soul mm-hmm. and, the, and the chiropractic adjustment of the soul out of bentness and into alignment with Christ. And, and so this actually isn't involving, part one of this isn't involving other people yet because you are in the act of forgiving. And so... Yeah, it probably wouldn't go well to say, hey, Nancy, I've been holding bitterness in my heart towards you for 40 years. I just wanted to let you know I right. forgive you. Right. <laughs> like, that, that, yeah. That's not going to go well. Right. I do not recommend that. Good. Now, it, is there forgiveness that needs to be sought? That's another matter mm. because now you are involving another person. This is now where you are asking forgiveness. Mm. 
And you you certainly want to take that first to Christ and say, oh, Lord, I'm remembering I really mishandled that person back in high school or that relationship. Man, my you know, girlfriend or a boyfriend, forgive me for that, Lord. I do you want me to reach out to them? Is there any is there anything that needs to take place? Please let Christ guide you there. Yes. Wow. What I'm mostly concerned about right now is what do I need to do? What does my soul need if I were preparing for the return of Christ? I think the category of forgiveness, the thing that Jesus is teaching in Matthew 5 about be reconciled, at least in your heart, Yes, be reconciled. Now, the reason that I say at least is because some folks aren't ready for that. You know, when we talk about the father wound at boot camp or at captivating and, and we, we get to the end of the retreat and people are wondering, do I now go back to my parents? And my answer is always maybe. It's not always yes. Wait, ask Christ, because some parents are not ready for that. They're just, it actually will make the relationship worse, and you're trying to be a yeah, peacemaker. Good Blessed point. are the peacemakers. But I wanted to tell another story in the mind game that involves the category of restitution. Is there any unfinished business? And years ago, a friend of mine was about to take his first pastorate. He, he was going to be made a pastor of a local congregation. And he was very aware of the need to have the anointing of God, the favor of God, the help of God. And so he wanted to come in with a clean slate. And years prior to that, he had been involved in some, we'll just call it shady financial dealings. <laughs> And so he he felt very moved. He says, you know what? In order to walk into this new calling, and he was really beginning his ministries, like out of out of seminary, first yeah. appointment, first yeah. assignment. And so he went back and paid back cash to a convenience store that he had, you know, he had worked at it and robbed, you know, he'd robbed them, right? Wow. And they never knew it. And he went back, he actually went back to the owner and said, you might not even remember me. I was 16 when I worked here, but I stole from you. And, and I am actually here to make recompense. And so he handed him cash and said, this is, this is the amount. And I'm, wow. I'm very sorry. I ask your forgiveness and I want to make this right. Uh, which actually ended up in that moment being a very beautiful thing between he and his former employer again ask Jesus. Yes. But the idea is unfinished business. As you think about your soul's preparation for the return, is there unfinished business? Is there is there restitution that that would be good for me to seek in my life? Boy, that's that is such a powerful question, John. Uh, and it, you know, all of us in our lives, when you look back between uh, things, when you were dating other people before marriage, when you were in a business with family, extended family, uh, they're so, yeah, it doesn't feel like a heavy question. It feels like a really beautiful invitation just to go, God, there are probably things I don't even remember, but if you would like something to happen on this front, bring it to my mind. Mm -hmm. And and when I've done that in other ways, it's always been something that 
that was a journey worth taking that I probably wouldn't have even thought of if God hadn't said this. Mm, or exactly. How about that? In love. Exactly. In love and under the covering of the atonement. This isn't shame. Right. This isn't accusation, but it is, wow, Lord, if there are some things that are important for me to do in terms of soul preparation, I want to do those things. And I've asked him, I've asked him, you know, I've gone back to I was using the example of high school girlfriends, and I wouldn't even know how to get a hold of them now. But in my heart, I'm praying that that they meet Christ. I'm like, Jesus, please extend the revelation of your gospel to them. So that's one way I can kind of be right in that's my good. heart towards them. Yes. In another relationship, which is not too long in the past, I've asked Christ about that, and he, he's just said, no, they're, they're not ready. Just forgive them and and be right in your own soul towards them, but they're not they're not ready for a conversation. So it is important to allow Christ to guide us. But it's a mind exercise we're doing right now. We're not going on a witch hunt, right? Right? We're not trying to excavate every unconfessed sin in our life. That's not helpful. Those things. That's not that's not what Christ is inviting us to do. Let me let me read another scripture that gives us a different category, another way of thinking about this. So this is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. And Jesus is riffing on his return. And he says some very fascinating things about the nature of the climate. He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and then the flood came. So it's like business as usual which also helps address all that apocalyptic stuff where it's like, you know, we're... Right. Yeah, you know, communities are on fire and people are battling one another over a jug of water or a loaf of bread. Like, not no, that's not... The zombie not, apocalypse. Literally not what yeah. the gospels say. He goes on. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. So here you have economic stability. You, you have businesses, you know, economies going on. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. So Jesus is always teaching the element of surprise, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you're going to be surprised by this because it doesn't look like it. It's not going to be super obvious. Right. Okay. And then he goes on to say, remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. And the reason I bring this up, this is such a helpful category right now, is where is your heart wandering off in search of relief? Where is your heart wandering off in search of joy? Where is your heart looking for locating hope these days, because that's a really good indication of the ancient battle over the human heart. The enemy assaults, plagues, afflicts, traumatizes, and then lures us yes. through something that isn't coming from the hand of God, isn't out of intimacy with God. You know, fantasize about a vacation, fantasize about getting out of this miserable job and into a new one, fantasize about a different spouse. Right. He lures the heart away. And so Jesus says, look, 
as you think about my return, as you think about what would it look like to be ready, you've got to pay attention to where your heart is going each and every day because, you know, shouted from the rooftops, you know, spoken in secret, shouted from the rooftops. You, you don't want Christ to show up while you are worshiping a coming vacation, while you have located all of your soul's longings, right, in, in, in someone else. You see what I'm saying, Alan? Yeah, I do. And it's also, for me, revealing this sense of when I think about the return of Jesus, it's almost a yes, but if you could hold off another 20, 30 years, because I want to see my kids get married. I wanna I want to have grandchildren. I want to see, you know, I'm I'm naming a broader category now for others, but I want to have children. I want to have this or that. And it and it's a really good longing, but it gets tangled. Even that becomes I think something we put between us and the return of Jesus because there it is. there's something we long for more before that happens. Does that does oh, that resonate? Exactly. That's the point. It it's it's our little Edens. Right? Like, right. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I look forward to Eden one day, the the restoration of the earth and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But right now, yes. Right now, if we're honest. What I'm really looking forward to is my daughter's wedding. I'm just, I've so been looking forward to that. What I'm really looking forward to is my retirement. I'm going to retire in a couple of years and we're finally going to go to Europe. It's that. Yes. Yeah. Right? It, right. It's that I have plans, dreams. Maybe they're at this point only fantasies, but they are Lot's wife because I'm literally turning back. Wow. Yeah. What are the things about this present life that I am not willing to let go of? That my heart is attached to? No, 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 no. I, I need to see, you know, little Jimmy graduate from high school. It's so important to me. I want to be there for my grandson. Things like that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, that come from, in many cases, a really good desire. But if it becomes a desire over... Jesus coming back and things that he has for us, then it can it can trip us up yeah. in very subtle ways. It snares the heart. These are snares of the heart. And this is why the whole Christian tradition for, you know, almost 2,000 years now practices like fasting and abstinence from, you know, drinking or feasting or vacation. You know, you, you fast from things. You fast from television. Mm -hmm. You fast from your phone. Because it is a way of weaning your soul away from this world and this present life, which we get so completely attached to. Yeah. All those little affections. And I, I'm 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 right there. I have been embarrassed how much my heart is wandering towards vacations I want to take, you know, meals I want to have with friends. All good things, but but I can tell that what my heart is looking for is relief yeah. and joy. Right. I'm looking for a little bit of Eden, and I haven't turned that need in my heart to God yet. The first turn is towards God. Mm -hmm. 
Lord, I need your comfort. I need hope. I need joy. And then, yes, what do you have for me? Yeah. What do you have? Absolutely. But but that's Lot's wife is a different thing. It is the attachment of the soul to the world. You know, it's almost as if when I found myself in that position, it's I want to see how my story plays out before yes. the larger story <laughs> yes. does what it's going to do. I, I yes. really want to see that happen. And, and inevitably, you know, my smaller story, the reason it, it matters and holds weight is because of what God's inviting us into today forward. So I think we have to look at it as this is not an interruption in our story or it's not a, you know, a curveball that, oh, okay, Jesus, come on back, you know, right? Right. You know, like I kind of wanted to see how this five season TV series. I'm only in season two. Don't don't come back until it gets to the final episode. Because man, I yeah, but then come or anything even more, you know, close to home with family. But it's not an interruption. It's actually a fulfillment and a realization of the story God's inviting us into. The curveball analogy is perfect. If if this exercise, if you are not enjoying this podcast, let that be a warning to you. If you find conversation about the imminent return of Christ to be disruptive, inconvenient, or or fearful, pay attention to that because that is where your soul needs preparation and care. Okay, so let's take the fearful piece. A dear, dear friend of mine is not ready by her own admission because she fears the return. She, she sees it. She understands judgment and, and, you know, all things being laid out. The unveiling of every hidden thing. She gets it. And she says, oh, my gosh. I am not ready for that. My character is not there. My life is not there. What are you talking about? And, and well, then that, thank you for voicing that. Mm. Then that's where the soul needs care, yeah. right? And right. then we have to visit Romans 8, 1, for example. There is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ. We We need to visit the passages that teach us that as far as the east is from the west, so far has the Lord removed your sin from you. That, you know, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, not only to forgive us, it says, but to cleanse us, that we are robed in the righteousness of Christ. It's really important. If the soul is is really disconcerted, right? If the soul is really disconcerted and upset, fearful, anxious about this mental exercise, this mind game of, wow, what, what would it be like? And what do I need to do to be ready? If it's fear that comes up, then that's where the attention needs to be. You don't want to bury that and just go on, just like you don't want to bury unforgiveness and just go on. You see how good this is? Yeah. And John, it reminds me, the very first podcast in this series— you were inviting listeners to notice where their disappointment is or an emptiness and invite God into that very place, not push God away. Yes. And 
in a sense, this is another way to see that. Like whatever we're fearing or whatever is causing disruption right now, it's a beautiful invitation, I think, from God, as you're saying, like invite God into that place of the disruption and go there with him to see what it is. Exactly. Where does your soul need attention? So over the holidays, I returned to C.S. Lewis's essay called The World's Last Night. It's from a stanza of a poem by John Donne where he asks, what if, what if this present were the world's last night? He's asking, how would you live differently? And, and I've done a lot of exercises with that, with my soul, because, you know I, know, I know one of the things is, oh my gosh, I've just got to run into every neighbor's house and bang on the door and ask if they know Jesus. But friends, let me also alleviate you from that. You know that doesn't work. Yeah. That doesn't right. work. And they're just going to think you're an absolute wingnut. So that's not typically how someone comes to Christ. Anyhow, the world's last night. Lewis begins the essay with this. There are many reasons why the modern Christian and even the modern theologian may hesitate to give the doctrine of Christ's second coming that emphasis which was usually laid on it by our ancestors. Yet it seems to me impossible to retain in any recognizable form our belief in the divinity of Christ and the truth of the Christian revelation while abandoning or persistently neglecting the promised and threatened return. He shall come again to judge the quick and the dead, says the Apostles' Creed. This same Jesus, said the angels in Acts, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Hereafter, said our Lord himself, and by those words, inviting crucifixion, shall you see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. If this is not an integral part of the faith once given to the saints, I do not know what is. Okay, so now let me jump to the end. Lewis writes, What is important is not that we should always fear or hope about the end, but that we should always remember take it into account. An analogy may here help. A man of 70 need not be always feeling, much less talking, about his approaching death, but a wise man of 70 should always take it into account. He would be foolish to embark on schemes which presuppose 20 more years of life. He would be criminally foolish not to make, indeed, not to have made long since his will. Now, what death is to each man, the second coming is to the whole human race. We all believe, I suppose, that a person should sit loose to his own individual life, should remember how short, precarious, temporary, and provisional a thing it is, should never give all his heart to anything which will end when this life ends, what modern Christians find it harder to remember is that the whole life of humanity in this world is also precarious, temporary, provisional. 
Okay, so he's talking about the medicine the soul needs and what a good tonic this is yes. to take it into account. I do not find that pictures of physical catastrophe, that sign in the clouds, those heavens rolled up like a scroll, help one so much as the naked idea of judgment. We cannot always be excited. We can perhaps train ourselves to ask more and more how the thing which we are saying or doing or failing to do at each moment will look when the irresistible light streams in upon it, that light which is so different from the light of this world. And yet, even now, we know just enough of it to take it into account. Women sometimes have the problem of trying to judge by artificial light how a dress will look by daylight. That is very like the problem of all of us, to dress our souls not for the electric lights of the present world, but for the daylight of the next. The good dress is the one that will face that light, for that light will last longer. Mm. Wow. I love it. Yeah. It's 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 a it's an exercise, friends. That I think in the overall idea of how do we navigate this hour on the earth? What what is the enemy doing against the human soul? How is he baiting us, numbing us, binding us to heartache and to loss? And and how would the exercise? Huh? What what would I need to do? Honestly, if I believed that Christ could return any moment, as the Scripture says, but could return in my lifetime, that it could be in 30 years, 10 years, 5, what, what would I need to do apart from panic, crazy things, running through the streets, you know, shouting, the Lord's about to come, yeah. but just to allow the soul to go, hmm, are there people I need to forgive? Is there restitution I need to make? Is, is there reconciliation that needs to take place? Are there orders that Christ has given me that I have not fulfilled yet, things he has told me to do? Or am I even asking? Yeah. And Lot's wife, where am I going for relief right now? Where am, where's my heart currently concocting hope? you know, fixating on a little bit of Eden. Because what you do with all of that is you lay all of that down on a regular basis. You literally choose to say, Jesus, I lay all that down. I don't need to go to Europe this year. I don't need a new job. I, I lay it all down, Lord, in order to choose you, in order for my soul to realign itself with you right now completely entirely, so that should the trumpet blast yeah. and the light of heaven shine on all things, you will find me loving you, choosing you, and to the best of my ability without witch hunts and crazy actions, living well, living honestly in this hour. Yeah, it, and it may start the first person you may need to forgive in your heart is actually Jesus for something, for something that's creating a wedge between you and him that you don't need to wait till the coming kingdom to try to sit down with Jesus. You could actually start there, and that may be one of the first things that gives you freedom into this journey that we're inviting you into. 
In every gospel, multiple times, Jesus uses some language around, hey, be ready. Be ready for me. I think that's a good exercise.